Hi guys. Okay, this is my second try recording this because I, mm, long story short, I was burglarized. It was traumatic. We're not going to talk about it, but I lost my, not my microphone. They didn't take my microphone. They took the wire that connected my microphone to my computer. So I was using my phone microphone and it was distorting and doing all sorts of nonsense and it was just not usable. So we're back. Just thought I'd be a little vulnerable right at the beginning of this podcast, but we are going to dive right into my pet peeves. This is, uh, got to relive this again. <laughs> and I will preface this with if any of these things are things that you do or believe, it's okay. I love you. But I'm here to explain why it bothers me, okay? So the first one, we're coming in hot. All my other voice teachers, I know that this is something you agree with. When people say that they sing from their diaphragm or that they support from their diaphragm. Let me tell you why that is just not correct. So your diaphragm is a partially involuntary muscle. It is not 100% voluntary like the heart because we can control when we take in air and when we exhale air, we can control that. But the actual process of breathing is a little bit more involuntary in terms of those muscles. So when we breathe in, one of two things can happen. If your breath is low, which is where I think all this diaphragm stuff comes from, what will happen is your diaphragm will flex. And when it flexes, it goes from a dome shape, which is it at its um, resting position, to a flattened shape, which is it flexed. And when it goes flat, it pushes all of the lower organs, like the intestines and the stomach, etc., down and out slightly, which is why when you take a really low breath, sometimes your belly will get a little bit bigger. And that's because it's actually filling with organs, yum. So the diaphragm is doing that. And then what happens is because the diaphragm has now pushed the organs out of the way, it gives room for the lungs to vacuum in all of the air in the space where the organs once were. Then when you exhale, the diaphragm releases and kind of helps the air come on out. But it's involuntary. You cannot say, oh, okay, listen guys, I'm flexing my diaphragm. That is just not happening. It is not happening. You breathe in, it flexes. You breathe out, it contracts, or no. Contracts and flexes are the same thing. <laughs> I'm not editing this. Okay, um, when you breathe in, it contracts. When you exhale, it releases. But you can't really sing from there, nor can you really support from there. If you try and support from there or actually make it a voluntary muscle and try and just flex it like you would flex your bicep, what you're really probably doing is flexing all of your abdominal muscles and your core. And sometimes we can use this, but I don't love 
using the core very often because right now I want you to try it. Just flex your core and feel what happens to the muscles in your throat. Yeah, most of you, I'm sure your the muscles in your throat wanted to get involved. So what's really happening when you are saying, oh, I'm flexing my diaphragm or I'm supporting for my diaphragm is you're kind of just adding some extra push and it might be lingering onto your throat. All I'm saying. Now, if you can really be isolated about it, there is a way to flex your abs without your throat getting involved, but it is kind of hard to do. Um, so yeah, you really can't. You can't. You can't. It is an incorrect thing. What you are really doing is using your intercostal muscles. There's intercostal muscles in between your ribs in your rib cage. That's what keeps the ribs buoyant and out. That's helpful for support and breathing. And your intercostals that are down by your hips towards the sides that actually pop out when they are flexed. That's where you're feeling that low support. Not the diaphragm. I'm so sorry if I shocked anybody or ruined your whole day because of this. But it's true. Stop saying that you're singing or breathing or supporting from your diaphragm because you are not. Okay. Whew. <laughs> I'm already heated. I'm already heated. Okay. So this one goes out to <laughs> my voice studio. And if you're a voice student or you have been, and hey, this is a pet peeve, but I've done it before. This is something that happens a lot. When singers have no idea what they want to do in a lesson. And I mean like absolutely no idea. Like no goals, no song, no thoughts, no feelings, no words. Even something as simple as I want to have fun today is better than I don't know. Okay? So I'll, I'll paint a picture for you. Um, I'm seeing a student. Maybe it's their second lesson. And... So I don't know them very well. I don't know their voice very well. I kind of know what's going on, but I've had one lesson with them. They come on in. I say, what do you want to do today? They say, I don't know. And then there's silence, thinking that maybe they'll continue to think on it and tell me something. Silence. So then I say, oh, is there a song you want to sing? I have two guiding prompts to help you pick one. Either a song that you love so much that it's your go-to and you sing it in the shower, you could sing it in your sleep, your favorite, favorite song. Or a song that you love or that you are trying to sing that you know that there's a passage or a part in it that you want help with. I don't know. And then silence. I don't know what songs this student knows. It's been the second lesson. I don't know what they want to do because they said they didn't know. I have no song to go off of, no goal, nothing. So then we sit there and it's been like 10 minutes now of us going back and forth trying to figure out what we're going to do and we still don't get anywhere. And I'm put in a really weird position because I think the view is, oh, you're the teacher, you tell me what we're going to do. But I'm not teaching like, a general music course or a music appreciation course where like I have something prepared for you to consume or like a history course or something like that. 
this is very much you tell me what you want to work on and we work on it or you come in with a song or an idea and then I hear what you do and then have things for you to work on. I cannot preemptively guess what the issues are going to be. Give you a song that I know that you know, even though I don't know you, and then have it happen. And I may or may not be talking about a specific person, but in their first lesson, they did the same thing. It's like, I don't even know you yet. And I love you. I love all my students. They're all amazing. But when you do this, it makes it so hard for me to help you. And it also makes it hard for us to like have an efficient lesson because now we're, we're not sure what we're doing and it takes a long time to figure it out. And then once we figure it out, we're not sure if we want to do it. So all that to say, if this is you, and this happens to everybody, life gets in the way. Sometimes you don't have a show or anything coming up. You aren't sure what you should learn. You aren't 100% sure of even the skills you want to learn. I get that. You don't have to come into me being like, I would like to work on flexing my intercostal muscles. <laughs> Taking it back to the last one. Or something about, um, I want to learn how to mix belts and I want to use this song. Like, I love it if you said that, but you don't have to say that. You could say, I really want to feel validated in this lesson. Now I can ask a prompt of like, okay, let's do this. Or if you say, I really want to work on the riffing. Like I told this story in a previous podcast episode. One student said that they wanted to work on riffing. So rather than trying to pull a song out of our butts or trying to guess what songs they knew, we just went on TikTok and did like a riffing challenge where it's like five to 10 seconds long and it's really easy to learn on the spot. And we did that. Like there's so many other creative ways to do things, but if you just say, I don't know, and then there's silence, neither of us are going to be able to do anything. Oof, okay. All right, guys, this next one. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to anger some humans with this one. <laughs> if you are easily angered and you're a classical musician, you should stop listening. <laughs> okay, so I, I love you. I love you. I'm going to say it every time that I think I might offend anybody because I'm so nervous about offending people, but I got to say it. It is such a pet peeve of mine when people make being a classical musician, their whole personality. Now, I love classical music. I could sit at a dinner table and talk about theory and concepts and opera and all of that for a long time. I could do that. That's not the type of people I'm talking about. This is like, go to school. Take a class on opera. Have a break. During the break, all you do is talk about it. Then you go to your next class. And then the next break, maybe you're practicing. Then you go to your next class. And then the next break, you have, a, you have time to sit and eat. All you're doing is talking about it. Then your next class. And then you sit and talk about it. And then maybe you go to the library. And then you sit and talk about it. 
and then you hate on pop music or any other music that is not classical because it's not quite as it's not quite as intricate or um, you think that it is beneath you and then you dress like you're going to an audition every single day you think people that wear leggings and jeans are beneath you <laughs> okay if you dress like you're going to an audition every day more power to you, you probably look amazing and your confidence is probably through the roof because you look great. I'm not even saying, if, I, if any of you do this individually, I'm not even talking about you. These are the very specific people where you could tell that it's like everything that's not classical music is beneath them, including like down to the way that they dress or what socks they put on. You cannot talk to them about anything in pop culture because they make it like a quirky pick-me like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, there's life. There's life outside of it. There's life. And it's okay if you like to listen to Ariana Grande. Like, that doesn't make you less of a classical musician. I'm sorry. Um, and it just like bothers me. It just bothers me. I don't know. I mean, you live your life, but it bothers me. Okay. All right. I promise there's a pet peeve about people hating on classical music later on in the episode, but I'm going to keep keep going with the classical community here. So another pet peeve, this is just like a plain, like this makes me angry, um, is how gatekeepy the classical music industry is. So I still don't really know how someone gets a job in this industry. <laughs> I've taken class after class. I've gone to audition after audition. I'm in the community. I've got the connections. And I'm still kind of like, what? What's going on here? How do I do this? The other part of it is that people say that classical music or like opera is quote unquote a dying industry. And I really hope that not to be true. But the reason why I kind of feel like it, it is to an extent is because the, the industry and the community surrounding it makes it really hard for new people to get on board and be interested. It takes a lot for somebody that is not surrounded by classical music already as a young person or that has an interest in being an, a musician to like classical music. And it's not because classical music is bad or boring. It has nothing to do with that actually. What it has everything to do with is the gatekeeping nature. So it feels like people want classical music to be this elite art form. So they put all these rules around it. Like you can't clap between movements of things you can't make any sound you have to dress a certain way you have to look a certain way everything's not in english like they, they just make it so hard for someone that's used to pop music on the radio and like concerts where you scream your head off and you have like a blast it makes it really hard for those people to be like 
And now I am going to sit still and listen to this music and have no idea what's happening. It, it makes it really hard. So then you do that, but then you also want people to appreciate it. And then you look down on the people that don't appreciate it. So it's like you, you are having this like, you are beneath me if you don't like it, but I'm not going to tell you or give you the tools to like it. So it becomes that there's these, this just circle, small circle of humans that keep the industry going and that like it. And like, it's crazy because I know this is true because I, at my graduate recital, I, as you know, I'm a, a crossover artist. So I did a bunch of different genres on my classical voice master's recital. But at the end, I asked my friends which set was their favorite. And one of my friends was like, Oh, I really liked the first one with the guitar. It was a broke um, Spanish art songs. I was like, did you know that that is the oldest music on the program? She was like, no way. No way. I was like, yeah. It's not that the music is bad. It's the way it's being pushed out to people. It's gatekeepy AF. Okay. <sighs> Let's keep on going. I'm coming for you, musical theater. <laughs> okay, so I hate the fact that people are put into types. I know people are put into types to an extent to help them kind of um, focus themselves into a specific, you know, how you study and what you should go for. It makes it easier, I guess, for people to like figure out what they want to do. But like, come on, this is an industry that prides themselves on being like the first to be inclusive, <laughs> which is just not true. But it just feels like if you're trying to be inclusive, you cannot put people in boxes like that. Like, I don't know, just because my voice has a dark quality and I'm not 100 pounds doesn't mean that I should only be playing comedic relief, mother, witch, zombie, whatever the heck, parts. Why can't I play an ingenue being like 200 pounds and a mezzo? Like, what's the problem? Okay, pet peeve over. Okay, now here it is. Here it is. When people say opera is boring, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> okay. And I get it because of what I said before about the industry. Like, I get that it's hard for you to feel like you're included. And it's hard to want to support it when you feel like an outsider. Understood. But it's bare bones. If you watch an opera from start to finish, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll have an existential crisis, you'll figure out your entire life. It is like a life-changing experience. So all you people that hate on it, I wanna know if you've ever seen one, first of all. And I mean seen one all the way through. Not just heard the opera that's in the background of the Swifter, Swiffer, Swifter, Swiffer commercials. Or like one aria, one scene where it's like a person with a Viking helmet on, 
um, that's 400 pounds that just stands there and sings on the stage. That is not it. These things are dramatic. And if you can get past subtitles, which boy, if you don't like subtitles to a point where you won't watch anything that's not in English, you are missing out on so much media and art and amazingness. So, and I'm talking that with film too. This is not just opera, but anyway. I implore you to watch an opera from start to finish and then tell me it's boring, okay? Um, so if you feel like you want to, please message me. I have a lot of um, recommendations and we can go through any genre. This could be like the most dramatic thing ever. Fantasy, comedy, a day in the life, avant-garde. They have it all here, okay? It's so entertaining. I'm obsessed, okay? You've gotta, you've gotta just trust me on this, all right? Okay, and this is my last one. We're bookending this, going back to breathing. I think it's a huge pet peeve of mine when me breathing mechanics are taught so much to young singers to the point where everything is breathy. Now, let, let me explain. I was taught in school, in vocal pedagogy, that young singers have underdeveloped vocal mechanism muscles, which is true. So what can happen is the vocal folds don't close all the way upon phonation. I'm getting very technical here. But they don't close all the way, not because something is wrong, but because those muscles just need to be toned. They need to you know, continue to work and build up the strength to close all the way. But in the meantime, when they don't close all the way, the sound gets breathy because there's air escaping through open folds, okay? That makes sense. But sometimes the reason for breathiness is too much air coming through. Half the time with my students, when I tell them to take a smaller breath, when we're working on certain parts of their voice where it's feeling like it's cracking or it's getting breathy or it's flipping or all of that stuff, those problems go away. They go away when they take a smaller breath because a big breath is not the answer to every vocal issue or every thing that you're trying to do. And I felt like I was definitely taught that when I was young. Like you were taught how to breathe and it was like weeks and weeks and weeks of just learning how to take a big breath. Obviously the whole diaphragm talk was had, which is so annoying. Um, but it was just like breathing, breathing, breathing over and over. And you don't need those breaths all the time. I'm telling you right now. There are so few scenarios where you need to tank up with that much air for a phrase. Half the time, all you need is a breath as if you're about to speak. I get we need to teach people how to breathe to an extent um, because sometimes people breathe very shallowly and it can cause other issues or it can make you run out of breath if you don't have enough air. This is true. But like... If it ain't broke, don't fix it. People aren't struggling to talk. And so much of singing is like talking. So a lot of times they say, just breathe like you're going to talk. And then they're like, uh, okay. And then everything is good.
good. Everything works out. So I get it and I do teach breathing to an extent, but it's not something that I just harp on with young singers because it's just not as important as we think it is. Oop. Okay, I'm done with my pet peeves. Please, please, I want to know your pet peeves about the industry, about singing, about um, anything, anything really. It could be not singing related too. I love pet peeves. I think they're so funny, especially when they're like unique to the person. I don't know if any of these were actually unique to me. These are just kind of like issues that arise. Um, but yeah, tell me your pet peeves. You can text me. You can DM me. You can email me. You can comment on this podcast, which would be my preferred option. If you liked it, give it five stars, share it with your friends, and let's keep this going. All right, bye.